Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, worship team. You know, last week we took a little break from our series on Daniel and we had this baptismal service. Uh, If you were not here for it, it is online. You can go to YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. If you just type in Converge Community Church, it should come up. But uh, last week we had testimonies. These young people came up, six young people came up. They were being, uh, going to be baptized that evening, and so they gave their testimonies of what the Lord has done in their lives. They talked about uh, how God has saved them, how the gospel has changed their hearts, and, uh, and it was just a, a wonderful time together just to hear that and to be encouraged and to encourage them. And this week we are back in our Daniel series, and we are in chapter 3. Before we read the chapter, let me give a little review, uh, a few things to remind us of as we kind of wrap our minds around the book of Daniel again. Remember that Daniel was written during the time of the Babylonian captivity, that's where this Uh, This empire, Babylon, with their king Nebuchadnezzar, comes in and they attack Jerusalem. They take it over. Nebuchadnezzar becomes the king over them. And he takes among the Israelites, the, the people of Jerusalem, the smartest and most promising of all the young people. And he wants to train them up in the ways of the Chaldeans, the ways that they think and what they believe, and he wants them to work alongside of him in, in the court. He wants them to be the, the wise men and, and those who will work for him. And so he picks out, there's four that we see in the book of Daniel. There's, of course, Daniel. There, then there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were raised up knowing the God of their fathers. And so when they were taken into captivity... They were determined to follow the Lord. They were determined to follow the Lord and to remain faithful to him, even in this hostile foreign land. And what I mean by hostile is that the land that they found themselves in had no concept of the one true God. They were idol worshipers. They would worship these false gods and and they would uh, sacrifice to them in in a pray to them and appeal to them. The Babylonians were idolaters. They did not worship the one true creator. And so inevitably, there is going to be contention between Daniel and his friends and this culture and the the king and the soldiers and uh, those who lived in Babylon. 
And we see this take place. And the question is, is how will these young Israelites respond? Will they compromise? Will they bend their will towards the king and his rules and laws? Or will they remain faithful to the one true God? And so throughout the book of Daniel, this is the central theme. And I want to repeat this. We want to repeat this again and again because this is very important what we see throughout the book of Daniel, and that is this, as kingdoms rise and fall, remain faithful to the king who rules over them all. That's the call. That's what Daniel, the book of Daniel, is communicating. As kingdoms rise and fall, remain faithful to the king who rules them all. And that's exactly what takes place, we see, in chapter 1. Daniel and his friends were to be fed from the king's table, and Daniel was determined not to defile himself with the king's food. There were laws that, as a Jew, he was to follow when it came to what he was to eat. So he made a deal with the chief overseer to only feed them, him and his friends, fruits and vegetables for 10 days, and see how healthy they will be after those 10 days, and compare them with the others, And we know that God was faithful and they did look healthier, which convinced the chief overseer to change their diet to fruits and vegetables. So Daniel remains faithful to the Lord and the Lord blessed him and and this change was happening. They didn't have to defile themselves by eating from the king's table. And again, we see in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that terrifies him. It terrified him so much that he knew it was a divine vision, and he demanded the magicians and enchanters not only to interpret this dream for him, but also to tell him what the dream was. This was a tall order. He did this because he wanted to make sure that they gave the right and true interpretation. Remember that the one uh, that no one was able to fulfill this request from the king. He wanted them, hey, listen, don't not only interpret the dream, tell me what it is. And the magicians and the enchanters were like, there is no way we can fulfill this. And so in walks Daniel, who knows that there's only one God who can reveal this dream. And so he goes to the king, he says, give me some time. And so the king gives him some time and he goes to his friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he, he had them plead to the Lord for mercy. So here they are praying to the Lord and asking him to reveal this dream, and he does. He reveals it to Daniel. And chapter 2 clearly shows us that God is this great revealer of mysteries, and the king over all kings, and We, his children, are to be like Daniel and to remain faithful to him. You see, Daniel relied on God. He went to the Lord concerning this issue with this dream. So we we see them remaining faithful in chapter 1. We see them remain faithful in chapter 2. And we're going to see it again in chapter 3. They're going to continue to keep their eyes on the Lord their God, the one true God, remain faithful to him 
And the Lord is going to bless that. They're gonna, he's going to bless these young people. And so with that, let's read this chapter. And what we're going to do is I have two readers to come up. Can you guys come up now? Um, I'm going to start us off. I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then we're going to, because it is rather a long chapter. Do you, do you have a Bible? Or do you have it memorized? I don't. Do you have one? Okay. Well, I did ask them to memorize it, but I don't know if they did. Just kidding. Okay. So let me start. Actually, I don't need this, right? You guys will need this. Yep, I'll hand it to you. Oh, is it not coming up? Okay. We're, we'll work it out. I feel like <laughs> I feel like the three stooges up here. From, who's got the Bible? Just kidding. All right. So Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose weight was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the, the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, all the peoples and nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I, that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of this army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True king, true O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and their appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Continue. Keep going. <clears throat> sure. Bring us home. <laughs> <laughs> then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the perfects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
in the province of Babylon. You know what, can you give them a hand for reading? Because there's some tongue twisters in there. Thank you. Thank you so much. There is no way I would have been able to uh, persevere through that alone. So thank you for coming alongside of me in that way. Uh, with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for recording this wondrous event. And in it, Lord, there is a lot that you have for us. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning, that you would reach our hearts and our minds. And through it, Lord, we would come to a greater understanding of who you are, how great you are, and the way that you deliver because, Lord, we know that you deliver us from sin and death. And that's, that's what we're going to see here. So, Lord, be with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I've broken this up into three different scenes. And so the first scene is verses 1 through 7. And it's Nebuchadnezzar rejecting or Nebuchadnezzar rejects the truth. So Nebuchadnezzar rejects the truth. If you remember back in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this terrible dream, and it was so disturbing that he, it, it kept him up. He was awake, he couldn't get back to sleep, and Daniel later comes in and he interprets the dream for him, and the dream was an image of this statue. And this statue, uh, the head was made of gold, chest and arms of silver, the middle and the thighs were bronze, the legs of iron, and then the feet were made of iron and clay. So it's this statue or this image that's made of all these metals. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom is the head. That's the head of gold. It's the greatest kingdom among all the other kingdoms. And that's how Daniel shares this. He's like, yours is the best. Yours is the greatest. You are the greatest king and your, your kingdom is the greatest. And I'm sure that this made Nebuchadnezzar feel pretty good. I'm sure if you were the king and you had this terrible dream and you were disturbed by it, Daniel tells you this, you would feel pretty good. Awesome. I'm the man on top. However, he continues on to tell what takes place in this dream that this stone comes in and smashes, smashes the image and it turns to dust. The whole image, even the golden head, smashed and turned to dust. And then this stone grows until it becomes a huge mountain. It fills the whole entire area. And this is the image of the kingdom of God. So if you think about it, it's, it's kind of like this lesson or this, um, any of you like Star Wars? There's one of the movies, it was called The Phantom Menace, where uh, the, the two Jedi, they're in this uh, submarine type vehicle, and they're being chased by this giant fish. And this fish wants to eat them, and it's huge, it's ginormous, it fills the screen when you're watching it. And they're racing around, and, and right when it's about ready to devour this vehicle, a bigger fish comes in and devours that big fish. And one of the characters kind of looks over to the other Jedi and says, there's always a bigger fish. 
And that's exactly what's taking place here. Daniel saying, you know what? You're a big fish. You're a big fish among many fish. In fact, you're the biggest. But there's always a bigger fish. And, and he shows them that God is, well, the biggest fish. And his kingdom is what will reign forever. Not Nebuchadnezzar's, God's. You see, Nebuchadnezzar wanted uh, what started out as a wonderful vision turns into a disaster. He was the king over all kings, and his kingdom was greater than all other kingdoms, yet there is one king and one kingdom that he could not stand against. This was the vision. It was going to happen, yet it looks as though Nebuchadnezzar is denying this truth. There's something here that's telling us that he does not want this to happen. I mean, obviously he doesn't want it to happen. But now it looks as though as he's taking action in hopes that this doesn't happen. And here's the interesting thing. If you, read, if you, if you looked at the first seven verses that I read, what continually came out was what? This phrase. It's this phrase, the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. The, the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Continually, it repeats that. Why? Because the writer is trying to point out, this is the man. He's doing this. He is the one that's setting this up, and it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. You see, Nebuchadnezzar decides he's going to attempt to change the inevitable by creating an image of his own. And this is very, very telling Instead of making just the head out of gold, this image is, the whole thing is made out of gold. The whole thing's made out of gold, and it's representing that he's not just the greatest of all the kings. He sees himself as the one and only king. That's his desire. That's what he wants. Not just that he's one among many, but that he's the only one. And his delusion is grand. And you can tell by how large this image is or the statue that he is making. The text says that the statue stood 60 cubits high, which is about 90 feet tall. That's huge. That's big. It just stands and, and is over anybody who, who's near. I mean, you could see that thing for miles and miles and miles. And so it's almost like Nebuchadnezzar saying, hey, let's see if that stone can demolish this one. And so that's Nebuchadnezzar's desire. He wants his kingdom to be a kingdom that lasts forever. So Nebuchadnezzar is trying to change this vision. He is attempting to usurp God's authority and rewrite what is to transpire. Now, part of Nebuchadnezzar's plan is to have all leaders and influencers of Babylon to bow down before this image, right? This is, this is how he's going to change reality and change truth. Everybody must come in and, and follow along with this grand delusion. And he makes a big show of it. He, he makes it a big thing, a huge event where everyone is expected to come, right? There's music, uh, you know, all types of music, all types of instruments. 
to make this a big thing for everyone, everyone will be called to bow down to it. And that's what we see in verse 7. It says that all the peoples, highlighting the word all, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so the question is, what will Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? What? What will they do? What would you do in this situation? And friends, this is a huge question for us today. We have all kinds of influences around us. We have all this pressure around us to compromise. To compromise. To go with the flow. To avoid making waves. To bow down to idols of this world. And so, you know what? Today, when we talk about idols, idols are not necessarily just these statues that we create and we're walking around and we see statues and we're called to bow to them. That's not what we're talking about today when we talk about idols. Idols today are, are a little bit more subtle. Uh, sometimes they're invisible. They're not necessarily represented in some type of statue. But we have idols today, idols of the world, idols of the culture. And if you just pause for a moment and just think, what are these idols that we are pressured into to follow? It may come to how we understand ourselves as human beings. How do we understand ourselves as human beings? It could be an idol. How we understand uh, how we are to live and, and um, to, um, to be comfortable. I think comfort is a huge idol, especially in the West. Or maybe it's consumerism, you know, materialism. All these things, how we understand sexuality and sex. All these things, all these ideas can be idols within our culture. And there is a pressure, there is a, a pull to go along with the, with the voice, with the voices of today. And so what it, the, the question is this, are we going to just follow along and go with the flow? Are we going to compromise? Or are we going to remain faithful to the Lord? So where do you feel the pressure to bow down to the idols of this world? That's the question I want to ask you. Where do you feel the pressure? Nebuchadnezzar wants all the people to conform to his reality and bow down to his created God. And the next scene, scene two, we're going to see three faithful men stand up against this edict. So this is scene two, that the faithful reject idolatry. Okay, the faithful reject idolatry. This is verses 8 through 18. And if you jump down to verse 12, we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow down, and certain Chaldeans call them out on it, right? So everybody's bowing down, and these Chaldeans, they must not, they must be closing their eyes, with, or they must not be closing their eyes, right? They're kind of bowing down and looking. Is everybody conforming? Is everybody going with the flow? And they see these three men not bowing down. And so verse 12 says this, 
there are certain Jews, and this is the Chaldeans basically ratting out Shad, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they say this, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now this sends Neb, Nebuchadnezzar into a furious rage. And he brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him and they, and he demands that they bow down before this golden image. And he even threatens them. Look, if you don't bow down, there's this, there's this furnace. I'm putting you in that furnace. I'm going to burn you alive. And so he threatens them. So think about this. Put yourselves in their shoes. They're wanting to follow the Lord. They want to be faithful to the Lord. The God who, who they were raised with, they they knew um, was, the, was the one true God. And yet, here comes this king who with one word can wipe them out. They've already experienced this in chapter 2, right? They were about to be killed if this dream wasn't interpreted and told to the king. These men were going to be killed. They were saved already once. And here they are again. Their lives are in danger. So talk about pressure. Neb takes one step, one more step, and I think this is where he really gets in trouble. I think this is where he steps into it. Because verse 15 says this. He kind of gives this challenge. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? This is a challenge. Listen, you're not, you're not worshiping my God. You're going to worship this God? You think this God can take, snatch you out of my hands? Can thwart my plans? So this is a big challenge. These are fighting words. And this statement is like a window into Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He is not just defying that dream or that vision that he had. He is defying the one true God. He's basically saying, there is no God who can save you now. Your God is powerless before me. That's what he's saying. And I love how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. Look at verses 16 and 17. Look at how, how he, they respond to this. There's, there's several ways, and we're going to kind of take this apart. But here's the first. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Wait a minute, what? This is the king. This is the king. This is the authority over you who has the power to wipe you out. And they're saying, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I find this, I find this response uh, astounding. They do not feel the need to defend themselves or even to reason with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if I was in their shoes, uh, one, I would probably... <laughs> Sadly, I'd be more likely to be like, okay, I'll, I'll bow down. Hopefully not, right? But my next step, if, if I was going to stand against the king, I would at least try to reason with the man. Hey, look, Nebuchadnezzar, just wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me explain. You see, I was, I was raised, and this is the God, and, and here are the stories, and I would try to explain and argue 
And, and so, you know, just being a follower of God, look at what he's called us to. We can't. The first commandment and the Ten Commandments. We're not to bow down to idols and worship them. You know, I'll try to explain it. Them? Nope. We have no need to answer you in this matter. There's, there's something there. I think that there's wisdom and discernment there that I think is very helpful. And here it is. And, and I think this is what we're called to and we need to be challenged with. That sometimes when somebody comes to us and they may be upset or furious or angry and demand an answer, there are times we may not have to give it. There may be times that we don't need to give them what they want, this answer that they need. You know, Jesus does the very same thing, doesn't he? When he goes before Pilate, he's arrested, and he's like, are you the king of the Jews? He doesn't say yes or no. He actually goes off on another. He starts to speak the truth about, about what he's about and why he came. He doesn't answer Pilate directly. And this is exactly what these three do as well. They don't answer the king back directly. No need to answer you on this matter. Let's look at the rest of the response. This is what he says. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So no defending, no excuses. They just speak the truth. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. There it is. If you want to throw us into the fiery furnace, go right ahead. Our God will deliver. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know who God is. They knew, they, they knew of the stories of the Exodus, of what God did for his, their forefathers, right? Bringing them out of Egypt and protecting them from the Egyptians. They heard the stories of Moses raising up his hands and the, the Red Sea parting and the Israelites walking across dry land and the armies of the Egyptians being crushed by the waters as they come back in. You see, they knew that God can deliver his people. They knew that and they held on to that promise. And so they responded in a very bold way. They put their faith in this God, but they don't end there. There's still another part of this response that we need to look at, and this is in verse 18. Daniel 3.18, they say this, but if not, if he doesn't deliver us in this way, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So this is a very interesting response as well. What they are saying is that their faith is not based on the fact that God will deliver them from this specific danger. They are not presuming that they know all of God's plan, but they're, they're communicating that God does not bend his will to their demands but that God will do what he wills, and they will remain faithful no matter what. Right? That is the call, and that's what they're determined to do. 
They know God can deliver them. He's got the power to do so. But if not, it doesn't matter. We will remain faithful. So here's the point. You know what? Terrible things happen in this life. And the big question that we often ask is, why does God allow this? Why does God allow terrible things to happen? And the answer is, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. And you might be thinking, I have done everything right. I have remained faithful to him, and yet these terrible things happen. You know what? You're not alone. You're not alone. We've all experienced that. Right now, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are experiencing that, right, in this story. The question is, will the, the terrible thing or the terrible event shatter your faith or will it strengthen your resolve? That's the question. Terrible things are going to come. The question is, will your faith be shattered? Or will it strengthen your resolve? Remember back in chapter 2, I think this, help, I think this is helpful as well when we, when we think about this, and when we think about remaining faithful to the Lord. If you remember back in chapter 2, Daniel enlists his three friends to plead for mercy about this dream, right? So, they knew about this dream, and I think Daniel, after he received the dream and the interpretation, I think he shared it with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They knew the vision. They knew what was to come. They knew and understood what the statue represented, and they knew what that stone represented, the kingdom of God, that inevitably the kingdom of God was going to come and shatter all other kingdoms and become the eternal kingdom. They knew this. They believed it. And I think that strengthened their resolve. So here's the question that I have for you this morning. Where have you seen God faithful already? Where have you seen God faithful? You know, last Sunday morning, we heard testimonies of God's faithfulness. Many here among us now that have put their trust in Jesus Christ, you know what, we should afterwards or even beforehand or sometime during coffee, inviting one another and say and ask this question, how has God been faithful to you throughout your life? To hear the stories of God's faithfulness. And not only that, but we know of God's faithfulness because it's in the scriptures. Time and time again, we have seen God within his scriptures, show himself to be a faithful God. And so that's where we should put our trust and our faith, in the word of God and the testimony of his faithfulness that we hear from others. And this brings us to scene three. And this is, scene three is that the Lord delivers. This is verses 19 through 30. The Lord delivers. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego defy the king, and so Nebuchadnezzar has them tied up, and he throws them into this furnace, and they don't get burned up. They're in there, they're walking around. Nebuchadnezzar goes, and he looks in, and he, he sees them walking around, 
And then he makes this response. What he sees in there, this is very interesting. This is verse 25. But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth. So three go in. Then he sees four. says the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. He is like he is unlike the other three. There's something different about this fourth one that's in the fiery furnace with them. And this is a very significant point, and it's one the book of Daniel seems to emphasize, and that's that God draws near. God draws near. He is not far off. Remember back in chapter 2, verse uh, 11, this is, again, the magician's and the enchanters, they were told about this dream, and, and they were supposed to tell the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And their statement back was, the thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not in the flesh. So they're acknowledging these gods, but they're saying, listen, the gods are far off. They, can, they will not reveal this to us, because they do not dwell among the flesh. But we know in chapter 2 that God does draw near. He reveals the dream to Daniel. And here again in the fiery furnace, we see that he comes near again. This is the kind of God we serve. He is not far off. He has come near. And he faces the same judgment that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faces. And so here's the point. Our God does not only deliver. Yes, he delivers but he delivers by relating with his creatures, meaning that he can identify with us. He can identify with us. And Jesus is the literal embodiment of this truth. The word that was from the beginning, that was with God and was God, came down in the flesh to be among his creatures creatures among us. He has come to be with us. And he can relate with us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect Every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, listen to this, to help us in time of need. Where do we go in time of need? We need to run to Jesus Christ who can identify with us, who has come down in the flesh and has faced every kind of temptation that we have faced. You see, he has come near to us. The deliverance that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced in that fiery furnace is a foreshadow of the great deliverance we experience through Jesus Christ. And this is the most important thing. If you get anything out of this morning and about this message, get this. That this is an image, this is an analogy or a foreshadow 
of what is to come when the kingdom of God comes to fruition, when Jesus comes and he pays for our sins. And you know what? Here's the, the wild thing about this. You know who reveals this to us? You know who claims this in this passage? Sure, Daniel does in chapter 2. But the one who proclaims this is Nebuchadnezzar. The one who is fighting against God, the one who is battling him, in the end is the one who claims this truth. And I think this is wild. And, and here's the thing. When we keep uh, looking at Daniel in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6, when you keep going, Nebuchadnezzar is stubborn. He gets these revelations and he proclaims these things and then he turns back around and he walks the other way. And God keeps, wham, keeps grabbing him and revealing himself to him to the extent where Nebuchadnezzar can't help but pro proclaim these truths. So here it is. This is the proclamation, verse 28 and 29. Nebuchadnezzar says this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. So let me break this down uh, for you of what's taking place here just in this proclamation Nebuchadnezzar gives. Here's the question. What did God do? What did God do? Well, he sent his angel. He sent his angel. Number two, he delivered his servants. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? They trusted in God. They put their faith in him. They set aside the king's command, which means that they rejected idols. Basically, they, in a sense, repented, right? They turned away from idol worship. And they yielded their bodies. They yielded up their bodies. They yielded, they gave it up. Brothers and sisters, God sent his only son. He sent his only son, and through his death and resurrection, he delivered us. He delivered us from the power of sin and death. You see how this fiery furnace and this deliverance is a foreshadow of Jesus and what he's done for us? They were delivered out of this fire, of, out of death. Jesus does the exact same thing. He comes alongside, he comes in the flesh, and he delivers us from the power of sin and death. And so the question is this, this is what I want to end with. The question is, do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, we are sinners. We have this debt. And because of this debt, there is judgment. Jesus came and he lived a life, he lived a righteous life that we were unable to accomplish. This righteousness, we were unable to accomplish, he did, and then he sacrificed himself on the cross. He bled and he died for the forgiveness of our sin. The question is, do you trust in what he has done, who he is and what he has done for us? 
Will you reject the idols of this world? That means will you repent, turn away from your sins, from the idols of this world, and follow after him? And would you walk the same path that he's walked? You know, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. He says, you know, if you want to to be saved, if you are a disciple of me, this is the call to take up the cross and follow after me. Give up. Give up your lives. Give up the passions and desires that you crave for this world. Give them all up. Take up your cross and follow me. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he promises he will deliver you. May we trust that. May we believe that. And with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this event that took place so long ago but has been recorded for us. We see these three men who have remained faithful to you in in time of conflict where there's this opportunity to compromise. They did not. They They rejected that. They stood and remain faithful to you. Father, I pray the same thing for us. Knowing what Christ has done for us, that he has come near, that he has saved us from our sins, that there is no power, there is no power in death. Death has been defeated. And so with that, Lord, may we continue throughout this week to remain faithful to you. And all that we do, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.